Okay, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have a couple people come forward, and they're going to come bring you a Bible, okay? Don't feel weird about this. Just slip your hand up. Go ahead. If you need a Bible, we want you to follow along. If you don't have one or own one, you do now. It's our free gift to you. So if you want one, just get it up high. And Andy and Angie will bring it to you. It's okay to call you Angie. I've never done that before. Doesn't like it. Okay, Angela <laughs> will bring it to you. Now, um, this week, uh, man, I, as I was kind of prepping through the text and thinking through things, okay, God, what do you have for us? God, what do you want to teach us? I was drawn to an illustration that I used like five years ago. And so um, if you were around five years ago, this will be repetitive. Uh, if you weren't, which is for like... 99% of you, uh, this will be all brand new, and so just think of it that way, okay? Um, but I was, I was reminiscing this week on how a cucumber becomes a pickle, okay? <laughs> Andy just said, oh my gosh. She's one of the few that, that was there. And so um, I, was, I was honestly thinking through this. Now, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the process of how you take said pickle or said cucumber, and it transforms itself into a cucumber, into a uh, you take a cucumber, and it transforms itself into a pickle, okay? Um, and, and here's the reality. It does it, right? Like a cucumber uh, has no volition of its own. It does not become a pickle of its own choice, of its own volition. It just is made into one. And how is it made into one? Well, a farmer plants a seed. That seed grows into a cucumber, right? Then another farmer comes along, harvests said cucumber, and then it is then shipped, right, via a truck driver, brought over to a factory where that is probably put into a machine, where it is put into a brine or a vinegar solution, and it just absorbs and absorbs and absorbs and receives and eventually is changed into a pickle, right? After pickle has been made, it is then, again, repackaged, sent off to the store where it's sold to you by your favorite neighborhood cashier or clerk, in which you enjoy it on your favorite sandwich, okay? So, um, this is the making of a cucumber into a pickle. And here's the thing. The cucumber has no say in really changing itself. It is changed by exterior and external forces that make it into something new. Now, all week this week, as I was remembering this thing, and I did this five years ago too, I encouraged our church back then to always think of yourself as a pickle if you love Jesus, okay? And here's why. Because the reality of what we get in the book of Ephesians, honestly, for the first 14 verses, that's what we'll kind of look over, review a little bit, and then focus on the last two of this, this blessing at the beginning of the book of Ephesians that we've been studying, um, is the reality that God does work on us, right? That, that it's God's work externally that is poured over us, lavished over us. He does these things, and then we change, right? That it wasn't this, let me try really hard to become a new man or a new woman. It was, God, you have so done things to me that it has transformed me from the inside out. My old identity is no longer my present identity. We have been made pickles. Okay. <laughs> so all week this week, I want to hear it. I want to walk past you and say, I'm a pickle, I'm a pickle, I'm a pickle, I'm a pickle. I'm a pickle. <laughs> like, I just want that in your head that you have been changed, not because of you, but because of God, okay? And so um, let's just look at a few of these things that he has done in him. Now, um, from verses 1 to 12, let me just recap, and then the focus is on verses 13 and 14 today. Uh, but for these first 12 verses, there are 10 things that God has done to you 
If you are in him, okay, that's the biggest condition. If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you are saved, if you are his, if you have confessed and believed, that that whole reality, if that is your truth, these 10 things are true of you and they have been done to you. You cannot even reject them. They're just there. So verse one, the first in him promise from verse one is that you were made faithful, okay? So you weren't faithful. God made you faithful, Verse 3, that you were blessed with every spiritual blessing. You didn't attain blessing and goodness. You were blessed with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, you were chosen to be holy and blameless. You did not choose to live a holy and blameless and perfect life. God chose you to make you holy and blameless. Verse 5, you were predestined for adoption. You did not predestine yourself. Your destiny, you did not decide. God predestined you for coming into his family. You did not bring yourself into the family of God. You didn't knock on the door, walk in and say, I'm here. God said, no, you are outside. I will bring you in. Now you're part of my family. Okay, verse seven, you now have redemption. Okay, Anthony, man, just preached a heck of a sermon on this, if you missed it, just on verse seven alone, right? We have redemption, liberation, freedom in the blood of Christ. You did not redeem or liberate yourself. You did not free yourself. You could not do that. You needed to be freed. And in Christ, this promise is true for you. Verse nine, you were made known the gospel, Okay? You didn't seek out, you didn't find, right? You didn't study enough the gospel. It was made known to you. You were blind, you could not see, I could not see, and the gospel was made known to those in Christ. Verse 10, we were united with all things under him. That all things, now as King Jesus reigns, we are united together amongst the brethren and all creation to say we submit to the same king who is good and faithful. And lastly, verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. That, that we have this now forever future, this eternity that, that Peter told us, right? That first Peter says, man, is locked down, secured where? In heaven, right? So this has been attained, achieved, all of this true in Christ. So if you're here, you love him. He's your savior. He's your Lord. These 10 promises are true for you always. And they can't go anywhere. Now, if this is true, this elicits, I think, hopeful worship amongst the people of God. God, I can't believe you've done all of these things. Like, this is just incredible. But I think the fear is often, God, I, maybe I don't doubt that you've done these. I just doubt that maybe they'll stick. Because most relationships in our world will teach us that the whole non-contractual kind of reality, people will betray you. If you don't hold up your end of the bargain, they will leave. If you fail, they'll fail you, right? Unless you really are just this amazing person, the people around you will kind of depart. And maybe we wouldn't even functionally say that. We were like, I don't believe that. But I think we, we do. I think we do because we always try and hide our sin. We always try and always present the best part of ourselves to the world. Why? Because we feel like if we're fully known, why would someone want to spend time with me? God knows everything there is to know about you, and then he promises these 10 things over your life, and it is transformative to you. So if you are here and you are in him, you are new. You are transformed, but because of him, not because of you. 
Now, in the midst of that fear, like, well, am I going to lose this? Like, well, how, how do I know he'll keep loving me? Well, what if I fall away? What if I live in disbelief? What if I forget the things of God, etc., etc., etc.? Well, verses 13 and 14 are the final good news of this reality for us. Because if the first 12 verses of the book of Ephesians are, this is what God has done unto those in him, verses 13 and 14 are, this is how he keeps you in what he's done. This is how he secures you in what he's done. This is how he constantly founds and grounds you, lest we forget that then we could be a gospel-centered people, changed by God, that go and serve the world. Okay? That, that's, that's the movement. And so let's look at verses 13. Uh, let's look at just verse 13, Ephesians 1, verse 13. In him, okay, our last kind of in him promise of this initial part of Ephesians. In him, you also, okay, those in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so the last kind of in him promise uh, is that you've been given and, and sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit more in just a moment. But, but there's a condition, right? There's a condition to this whole receiving of the Holy Spirit. Again, we didn't attain the Holy Spirit. It was given unto us. And why? There's a condition to the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And it's what? It's that you believe the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Like that's the only condition. Belief in the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So remember, Paul is now writing this to the Ephesian church. And he's saying, listen, all of this stuff God has done. And then here is how it's secured because you believed in the gospel, okay? Because you believed in the gospel. And I don't want to assume anything this morning. I, I think, so D.A. Carson, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's uh, kind of chief editor and, and president of the Gospel Coalition and written a ton of books. Real smart dude. He's studied trends throughout cultures all around the world. And one of the things that he talks about is, is oftentimes when you analyze and look through the gospel's kind of implications upon a culture is it tends to kind of go in waves. And so what you have is the first generation where the first generation seems to, like they love the gospel, right? The gospel is great. We herald it. We believe it. We live it out, all that stuff. He says that the second, kind of the second stage, the second generation assumes the gospel until the third generation hates the gospel. And then generally, God, over time, seems to kind of do this great revival moment where then it kind of seems to cycle back, okay? That's not scientific. It's just kind of some general observation. And I think where we're at, I think, in our culture is kind of that assume-hate reality. I think we often just assume the gospel. Even as Christians, we're like, well, this thing, yeah, it's this thing, and I guess it saved me, and I guess if I believe it, I'm in, and all that kind of stuff. But then I wonder if functionally, I mean, do we really, do we really buy into the gospel story that sets us free and has promised all these things? Because I wonder if our lives would look a little bit different. Maybe this is just an indictment on me. Like maybe I think my life should look a little bit different if I really believe this thing and just doesn't assume it's truth. And so I don't want to assume it's truth this morning for all of you either. So I don't know where all of you come from. I think every week we have a handful of people that, that visit that are not Christians. That literally, and, and more and more, hear me, church, more and more, when you begin to talk to people you know, in your classes, uh, when you talk to people at work, when you talk to people at your favorite restaurant, et cetera, et cetera, and you say gospel, like there's no context for understanding. 
Like it used to be where we all across the entire kind of American landscape had an idea of what we meant by gospel and Jesus and, and even salvation and things like that. But now, and more and more, that's just not true. And so let's not assume the gospel. Let's try and understand, okay, what, what would the Ephesians have heard? When, when Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, and he says, well, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation you believe. What's he talking about? My guess is he's focusing on Acts chapter 18 and Acts chapter 19. And that's when he actually went to and visited the church in Ephesus and helped plant churches there and spread the gospel. And there's a few different things that mark the process of what he does there. First, he says that they showed Jesus was the Christ, okay? So they took Old Testament prophecies for all of those in Ephesus and said, you see, this guy's been talked about for a long time. He fulfilled everything, okay? So that was the first one. The second was that they teached on repentance and grace, so they're like, okay, because he's the savior of the world, you need to repent of your sins and experience the grace of God. And then thirdly, Acts 19.8, for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And we talked a lot about the kingdom last week, the receiving of the kingdom, one where Jesus reigns. So all things now under the lordship of a perfectly benevolent, all good, all powerful king, Jesus, right? That kingdom, what he could usher in was what they were preaching, and so these three main ideas, so when the people in Ephesus, when the church would be reading this letter and saying, okay, well, what does Paul have for us? Would they be kind of sitting like this? And, okay, well, what should we learn from this? And be saying, okay, well, let's, let's remember these three things. Let's remember that Christ was the Messiah. Okay, let, let's not forget that he's like the Holy One, the one set apart, the one prophesied for forever. Let's remember that we constantly need to live in this reality of repentance of sin and understanding and receiving of the grace of God. And then, and then lastly, that we live out the principles of the kingdom of God as well. Like these were the gospel stories. This was the truth that was preached to the church at Ephesus. And they believed it. Now, we live in 2017. And so let's not assume that we all know what that means today. Because now we have the benefit, right, of having the entire council of the scriptures, which means that we can study from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And we can see that the entire thing is one giant gospel story. It is good news from Genesis to Revelation. And so let's just do a quick recap. Genesis chapter 1, right? God creates the world perfect. Man is in perfect unity with God, with each other. They're naming animals. They're naked. It was fantastic, right? And then they say, or God says, listen, there's one thing I don't want you to do. Don't eat of that tree. You can have any food in the entire garden, whatever you want, just not, not that tree. And then in classic human fashion, they're like, well, I'm going to eat the tree. And they go and they eat of its fruit. And in that disobedient sin, this, this evil kind of force, this power against God ushered into the world begins to cause fracture, distortion, and breaking of God's perfect creation. And it is from Genesis chapter 3 where we see the fall, where we see God's enacted, okay? It was planned from the beginning, but his enacted movement towards his lost creation to save them and redeem and win back that which was lost. And so we get the entire Old Testament scriptures, God calling a people for his own possession, a cherished people, Israel drawing them in to say, you will be blessed, that you will go be a blessing in the world, and then out of your lineage will be the Savior of the world, Jesus the fulfillment of all things, the apex and climax of God's story. 
Jesus comes, lives the life that we could not live, the perfect life that was demanded of us per every law and even our own conscience, the Bible says. That life we could not live, he lived, okay? That death that you and I deserve to die because of our sin, because of the wages of sin are death, he died on our behalf so that after he defeats it three days later in his resurrection, which we celebrate in a few weeks, we now too, all in him, receive these promises and are raised unto new life, both here and forevermore. And the gospel doesn't stop there, because we know that the gospel, that the story continues. The gospel does not stop at the end of the book of Matthew. It's not just that he died, and now we're brought in, and the veil is torn, and we get God. No, now it's, now church, go unto the world, and tell the world of this good news, because a day comes when he returns. And when he returns, he ushers in the kingdom in all its fullness where we would dwell with him, where there is no need for sun, where there will be no more tear, no more pain anymore. We dwell with God, finally redeemed, restored, back to the way it was intended. That is the gospel story. Now that is a beautiful and profound thing. And everything, if you mean, this is why I like more and more as I get older, I fall deeper in love with the Bible. Because, and it's not because like, I just love a handful of verses more, or even that some of these verses that I memorize, even from way back when, speak to me more. It's because, man, this story is insane. Like, what it chronicles, hear me, is the true story of the world. And when you get to read it, you get to pour over what God has done and interjected and cared and shepherded and moved so that he would fulfill his ultimate plans. And so when we hear gospel, I, I don't want to assume that you guys are all just, yeah, no, I, I believe that. Hear me. Do you believe all of that? Because that is the gospel story. It's not just you've been saved because of the cross. It's meant you were really jacked up but intended for so much more, yet God saved you and now he calls you unto something before he comes back and sets it all right. Like that's, so, so when we begin to talk gospel here, when you begin to think through, well, why do they push so hard and all these, because we need to find our place in that story and not limit the gospel to something smaller than it is. And so that's what we believe this morning. Hopefully as a church, we confess together and we long for the day that we get there. There's, um, as, you, as many of you know, uh, Reverend Billy Graham passed this week, 90, 90 years old, I think, 99 years old, 99, so close. Um, and, and he has this quote, and I think like everyone shared it on Facebook, uh, but I love it, and I'm going to share it with us. Maybe you missed it. Billy Graham said this earlier in life. He said, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Like, dang, that's, a, that's just a good line, man. Like, God should incorporate that, incorporate that, like Revelation 23, just that. <laughs> that's just like so solid, Billy. And that's like, hear me, like we, we talk about him right now. That guy is with Jesus now. That's, that, that's the gospel. So this is all the stuff that's getting wrapped up into this initial. This is just, guys, we're going 40 weeks. We're like six weeks into this. We've covered 13, we're going to cover 14 verses, man. Like, what gets unpacked in this book moves the people of God into worship and praise and service. That is the whole point of this, and I'm hoping it's getting you there as much as it's getting me there. So, okay, now, back to this 
last in him promise, okay? This, this 11th in him promise that we get in verse uh, 13. So it was in him, right? When you heard the word truth, gospel, salvation, believe him, what? We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, okay? We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, um, I, I don't want to assume anything here either because when we talk Holy Spirit, and, and a lot of times, right, you get this kind of delineation in church where you have like the Bible church, right, that kind of like we've jettisoned the Spirit away and then you've got like the Spirit church where they just, you know, like leave behind Scripture and just kind of unruly and people are falling and Benny Hinn's knocking people on the floor and, and you get these visions and that's not accurate. That the Holy Spirit, man, like we don't talk about him all that much and that's not okay. Like he is the third member of the Trinity. He is the one, we're actually we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But man, he is, it's God. Like the Holy Spirit is God. You're not talking to like JV God. Like the Holy Spirit is God, okay? Like he made the team, okay? Now when I first got saved, I, I was a non-Christian all through uh, high school and just, you know, when, when you just start conjuring stuff up about what you think stuff is and then I get saved and I start hearing this Holy Spirit stuff. People, you know, like in, in Anthony's circles called the Holy Ghost, you know, and I'm like, okay, the Holy Ghost, like this is, like in my mind I begin to think of things as a, as a recent convert as to, well, the, what does the Holy Ghost look like, you know? And so I began talking to a buddy of mine I was in a kind of Bible study right after I got saved, and he shared this image with me. And Jenna, if you can pull this up. So this, this is no joke. This is the logo for the Spitfire Skateboarding Company. Okay, now, if you're not familiar with Spitfire, good, okay? Um, but when I'm, I'm just kidding. But when I'm growing up in Southern California, this is what we did. We, we skated, we snowboarded, we surfed, and, and this, this guy was what I was referred to. They're like, picture this floating around, Right? just doing work. Take it off. It's creepy. It's not meant for church. But so this, I literally, in my head, I'd be at church. I'd be like, the Holy Spirit was heavy today. I'd be like, oh man, like I just pictured a larger that guy <laughs> descending over the rock church in San Diego. Like that's, that's what my mind would go to. Now, we haven't seen him, okay? But I don't think that's what he looks like, okay? The work of the Holy Spirit now, okay? seals us. Now, there's two different views of kind of what it means in the language here, and they're both kind of viable, so I want to talk about both. And I think they're both well within biblical scope and view, and so let's, let's even believe both, I think, okay? Um, but when it says that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, uh, the first interpretation could mean um, that like he, he seals us kind of continually, right? Um, that, that, that in other words, like he protects us or, or shepherds us or helps us over time continually keeping us or sealing us from the outside forces that would seem to destroy and tear us away from God, okay? So what we have in the midst of that is this term helper that oftentimes shows up, that, that the Holy Spirit is our helper. It shows up a ton in the book of John. And what we get is we want to break down that word helper for a little bit. And I think in this seal's view uh, that there's, there's seven things I think there's seven things, seven roles of the Spirit that I want to talk about this morning. Um, and, and there's six, six of them begin with the letter C, and, and then one begins with an I, because I just couldn't find one and it was a reach, okay? And so I tried and I couldn't do it, okay? And so, um, so here's, here's the first one. Um, the Holy Spirit is our compensation, right? John 16, 7 says this. Nevertheless, this is Jesus talking. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will then send him to you. So Jesus is like, listen, I'm going to leave. And now this would have been super hard for the apostles, right? They're like, no, you're our guy. We followed you. You just raised from the dead. Like, what are you talking? Actually, this is John 4. So he hadn't raised him yet, but he was getting ready to, okay? So I'm losing chronologically. But here's the deal. He's like, I got to go away because you're getting something better than me. Even as we were praying this morning, Anthony said this, this prayer. He's just talking about the Holy Spirit who, I think the language was just like, enables all people to be in communion with God at any given time. For a while, right, Jesus is walking around and he had his, you know, he had his 12 and he had some people that would follow. Now he's like, no, 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 it's better I go so that I will give you the Holy Spirit and he will dwell across the world and all people can have communion with me. He is the compensation for the loss of the bodily Christ, okay? The second one, he is our convictor, John 16, 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, this is probably the role we like the least, okay? This is, hey, man, I don't want to hear that right now. Let me do my thing. But no, no, it says he will come and convict you on sin and unrighteousness. And so, listen, it's what you do with that. No, he's constantly going to be convicting of sin. Now, you either take that as like, all right, I feel convicted, and so I'll feel guilt, and re- then I move towards repentance and grace. Or oftentimes we feel conviction, and then we feel shame. Okay? And the shame thing needs to go. And that's all the way from the garden, right? That when, when Jesus, or sorry, when God comes into the garden after the fall and they're hiding behind bushes, right? Because they know what they've done in rebellion to God and God says, where are you guys? They went from naked and unashamed to clothed and shamed, right? And God's like, no, 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 I, I'm, or sorry, went from naked and unashamed to shamed and still naked. And so what does God do? He clothes them in the garden that their shame would be taken away. And now, look at, look at the language. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ by the power of the Spirit. Shame is to flee. Conviction sits heavy. You should feel conviction. You should feel bad about your sin because it grieves the heart of God and it pulls you from Him. But experience it in guilt, then move to repentance and live in the grace of God as we've already talked about. Okay? So, the next one. He is the consultant John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That as you go through this life, that the Holy Spirit walks with you, constantly consulting you, constantly informing you, constantly investing and changing your life. And it has nothing to do with you. Like he just does that work. You don't implore him to do it. He just does it. Now, we oftentimes push back against that. He tries to change. He tries to consult. He tries to convict. And we push back and make the process a lot harder. But here's the thing. Here's how I know that it is not up to you because eventually he wins because you will be glorified in heaven. Eventually, you will be sanctified unto perfection in him for eternity, but maybe not this side of heaven because we constantly, like, I don't know. But he is with you, consulting you, investing in you, teaching you and informing you of everything he has said. And so as you walk through your day, the goal is, Holy Spirit, like, remind me of the gospel. 
don't let me forget that I am loved and I am forgiven and I am redeemed and I am promised an inheritance. Like, don't let these things flee from me. Engage the Spirit. Talk to God. Holy Spirit, you say this is your role to teach me and inform me and not let me forget. So teach me and inform me and not let me forget. Talk to the Spirit. The fourth one, He is our comforter. John 14, 18 I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Right? He will get into your life. He will engage. He knows that you are at times distant, hurting, and broken. And he will enter into that mess, enter into that pain, and be with you. He's the comforter. Fifth, he's the connector. Ephesians 4, 3 says that we be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We'll talk more about this when we hit Ephesians chapter 4. But until then, the spirit unifies the people of God, right? It draws us in together, that it becomes then our identity. So, man, your other identities, and those are important and valuable, and we need to talk about those more, are not primary. Your primary identity is citizen of the kingdom of God, son and daughter of the most high God, sealed by the spirit of God, okay? Six, he is the clarifier. Now, this uh, is, is like clarifying butter. This is already, I'm starting to reach with the seas. I thought I could get there and I couldn't. This would be like the purifier, the clarifier. Second, Second Thessalonians 2.13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, right? That God is sanctifying you. He's clarifying you. He's removing impurities from your life. He's drawing out sin and brokenness like butter. Okay? That was dumb. I shouldn't have done it. I regret it. I regret it already. Like it was like, don't do it. I'm gonna do it. Ah, I shouldn't have done it. Okay. It will not make the 11. I'll tell you that. Um, he's our clarifier. Lastly. He's our intercessor, okay? And there's a C in there, so it's close, okay? He's our intercessor, Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Man, So sometimes, listen, we are just off on another planet, and we don't know what's best for us. Like I, and that is true of my life all day, okay? Like, just walk, and I think I generally got a pretty decent head on my shoulders, and I'm still kind of befuddled and confused how to do this life the way Christ wants me to. And so here's what happens. When I talk to God, the Spirit says, I got this. And he says, you, you know what, man? Like, he, the, God, here's, here's what he's really asking, okay? He, here's what's best for his soul. Like, like he's clamoring for this, but, but he, he doesn't know. So, so let's, here's what he means, Lord. And so he intercedes on our behalf. And this is really good news that we have that type of advocate in the Spirit on our behalf that we would continue to what? walk and remain in the promises. Again, verses 1 through 12, right? That these are what God has done, 13 and 14, that the Spirit has sealed us, okay, continually that we would never forget or leave or depart from it. So that's the reality. Now, the second of the views we find in verse 14. 
Okay? That he seals us, we were promised, sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? The second view is in the same way, right? Like if you watch any of kind of the, the older kind of medieval times films, okay? Uh, that, that, they, that each king or each uh, a royalty right, would have their own seal. And so when they would write a letter to, to someone off in a distant land, right, they would seal it with their seal, and their seal meant something. That meant, don't you break this. Like this, this cannot be opened until it reaches its final destination. And the seal that was on it, based on what seal it was, who was the one doing the sealing, okay, denoted its importance. So you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit until that letter's opened in heaven. Right? That forever, if you are in Christ, you are His, that heaven, eternity, inheritance, it is secure for you and you have been sealed right now. That upon you walks with you a Holy Spirit seal that says, nope, He's mine, she's mine, they're going here, it's good. Until we get there, let's open that thing up. And that is, again, elicits, um, like, yes, Lord. Praise your name that you've done this. Because, again, if it was up to us, I fear, again, up to me, I fear I, I, I would lose my salvation a thousand times a day. Okay. But because of the work of God, he seals it so it cannot be lost. Praise be his name. So, so now, what, what does all this mean? Like, if all of these promises are true, that, that God has done all these things and caused all these things over and in and through the people of God, and then he said, you know what? And then I'm going to seal that by giving you me, right? So it's, it's not just, it says, I will give you me. I will dwell with you forever. Like, if, if that is not just the greatest backer of any promise, that you put yourself up for collateral. I don't know what it is. So what does that mean then for us? How, how do we respond? And, and the reality is, is the, the answer is just like gospel-centered obedience. It's God, you've done all this, and so whatever you ask, I'm in. And here's the thing is, a lot of you guys, God's asking way different things from each other. So I can't give you a blanket statement like, let's all leave here and do these things. It's know and celebrate and love your relationship with the Holy Spirit, with God. Know him, engage with him, listen to him, talk to him, read about him, pray with him. And then as he speaks, you say, Yep, let's do it. But, it. but it all starts with us, this constant, let us not forget, let's remember, Holy Spirit, you're with us, and so now let's go. And so you guys need to kind of sit in, well, what is that? What does that mean? And so we're going to take the next couple minutes just to do just that. Let's pray, and then we'll move into a time of reflection. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you because... You just, you've done, you've done it all. And Lord, I, I, you know me, I like to, f- I fancy myself a doer, Lord, and this one's out of my hands. And so God, because you've caused all this and you continue to cause all this,
you've now intentionally put some stuff in our hands. God, not, not the end result. I, I got, Lord, you, I don't think that what I do today is going to affect what you do. You are coming back for this world. And you have sealed it. But God, you have called your people to live in response to all of these promises and all of these truths. Holy Spirit, to live with you, to engage with you, to be with you, that we would just continually be Jesus to this world and embody everything, Jesus, that you embody. Sacrifice and love and grace and mercy and truth and justice and hope. And so I just pray over us right now that wherever those things find footing in the lives of those who are in you today, Lord, that you would call them to that. Holy Spirit, that you would hold them to that and convict them of that and equip them for that and sanctify them for that and counsel them for that. That, Lord, they would walk in it faithfully and with joy. Because, Lord, it is in your presence that we find the fullness of joy. And so we celebrate that, God, even as we walk and we try to remain faithful, because you are with us, God, we are joyful. So with the joy of the Lord, just renown in this place and fill this place. Because, God, we are thankful. We are thankful, people, for what you've done. And a people of anticipation and what you will do. So, Lord, bless us now as we respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.